You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and thank you for being here at Grace Community Church. If it's your first time, we extend to you a special welcome. I am Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. Um, it has been suggested that Kenzie and Kerrigan sing one more time and then we go home. <laughs> when I read the text, you'll understand why I think this is a very good idea on this particular day. Uh, it's a strange text for a strange time in our land. I do want to mention a few things. David mentioned earlier, uh, and probably the people who needed to hear this were already in place, Discovery lunch today is after church. If you are relatively new to Grace, we would love for you to stay and have pizza with us. If you don't eat pizza, all the better. Just say, hey, Brad, you can have my pizza, and that will be, I, I would love that. But stay with us. You'll meet the elders, the staff, and uh, maybe have a few questions answered about Grace. It's an informal, there's no introduction, there are no formal introductions, anything like that. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Just stay and eat and, and hear a little bit about uh, what's going on. And then, of course, uh, this next week and a half, there's a lot going on. As David mentioned at Campbell, please be in touch with David and, and, and find out ways that you can serve there. And then two weeks from today, potluck, David mentioned cooking delicious things and a lot of it. We truly need a lot of food two weeks from today. That's some of you, that's your favorite day of the year, Potluck Day. We used to have, we had a couple of guys that wrote a song about church potluck years ago. It was uh, quite good. You remember it, do you, Scott? Uh, I remember that as well. Well, let me ask you a question. What is the one thing in this world, if you could narrow it down to one or two words, that you desire more than anything else? That's a very typical kind of question that I'll ask at the beginning of a message. But... But, but just with one or two words, what do you desire more than anything else in this world? Love? Purpose? Significance? Look, purpose, I, I would say if I had to describe what salvation meant to me more than anything else, for a long time I would have said, I would have used the word purpose. My life had no meaning whatsoever and then all of a sudden, the Lord saved me, and everything mattered. Nothing mattered one day. Everything mattered the next, just like that when I was 18 years old. It happened that quickly. So purpose, a lot of people just want purpose, significance, uh, security, a, a, a job that is meaningful, fulfilling, fame, fortune, all of the above. Would you like, would you say, yes, I don't want to confine it? To one. Now, at this point, you probably think that I'm going to zero in on one and say, well, this is what we really need to think about. Or you might think it would be even more trickery, and I would say, no, it's not that. It's, it, it's, one, it's another word altogether. It's Jesus. Jesus is always a good answer, right? If somebody says, what do you, you, if it's a Bible answer and you don't know the question and you don't know the answer, just say, uh, Jesus? And they might, yes, ding, 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 ding. It'll go off and. <laughs> That's the right answer, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I want us to think about, in fact, our text drives us to contemplate giving up the one thing that is probably the most important 
thing in, the, in this life to all of us. Apart from Jesus, it is certainly the most important thing, and that is autonomy. Autonomy. By the way, if you are young and you are in this service and you get tired of drawing or, or, or uh, scribbling notes to yourself or to somebody else, I like you, do you like me, check yes or no, you know, I'm not sure. Um, then if you hear a word you don't know the definition for, write it down and, and, and go home and look it up. My wife Linda's father was a pastor and he had quite an extensive vocabulary and so in church she would write down words that she didn't know and then go home and, and, and look them up. Autonomy simply is the idea of freedom and independence, the freedom to live our lives the way that we desire and the independence to control our own destiny, as irrational as that is in, in reality. I'm going to control my destiny. I'm the captain of my fate. Do you understand what destiny and fate mean? Yes, we can have a big say in the way our lives are going to go, but there's only so much we can do. If one day you can't move because you've got a brain tumor, you're not any longer in control of your destiny. And most of us just put that out of our minds. Let's don't even think about it because I want autonomy. I want to be the one who determines how my life goes. Now, look, we, we understand that family and social structures limit our autonomy at some level. But, but if we can make things happen to best suit our needs and desires, then we're likely to make an attempt to do it. I mean, some people dominate, others complain, others passively, aggressively, passive-aggressively manipulate certain others to secure their own way. Look, if someone is holding us back, get rid of him. Find a way to get around her. Look, this person is, is not going to allow me to do what I really want to do in life. Look, we all struggle with inappropriate motives. And, and, and hopefully I'm not as cynical as I might appear to be at times. I, I recognize that a lot of you truly, deeply desire the good of others, especially the good of people that you love dearly. And you will make sacrifices. I understand all of that. But... Knowing my own tendencies towards selfishness and control, and since Scripture is constantly calling us to humility and forgiveness, as we saw last week in Colossians 3, 12 to 17, there seems to be a human bent toward the need for control. I want to control everything around me. Today's text is, I can't believe it. Why, Lord? Why this text on this day? Today's text is Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. It's our last Sunday in the book of Colossians since we recently studied Colossians 4, 2 to 6, and because we've run out of time. The rest of Colossians 4, there's a lot of great truth in Colossians 4, but a lot of it's greetings and personal comments to different people, and it all has deep meaning, and perhaps we'll come back to it one day, but next week uh, we'll begin another a series uh, called Gospel Community as Witness, and it really is truly just wrapping up the, the, the series that, was, that we uh, did this entire past school year titled Engage the World 
with the gospel. In just a few moments, moments we're going to stand and read Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. I, I had planned to read all the way through chapter 4 um, to sort of give us a little bit of closure, but because of time, we're not going to be uh, doing that. So I'm just going to encourage you to go home and read Colossians 4 today in light of everything. Just start in chapter 3, verse 1, and then read through the rest of the book. I do want to prepare you, though, uh, for the section of Scripture that we're going to read. I, I can't tell you how many times uh, people will tell me when I preach, did you know something about what's going on at our home when you preach that message? I'm like, no, what I, no, God did, obviously. The Holy Spirit did, but I didn't know. Today's one of those <coughs> times where I'm saying, like, really, Lord, this text, this text? Colossians 3, 18 to 4, 1 will present God's order for our relationships with others. Husband, wife, parent, child, employer, employee. Well, actually, the last one is master and slave. We're going to apply it as employer, employee. But um, chances are that a lot of what we read this morning is going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to think, what? Really? Not just the last one, but even the first one. Wives, be submissive. Husbands, love and respond to your wife in a, in a particular way. Why is it that we are so upset with some of the stuff that we read in Scripture? Autonomy. Our desire to be in control of our own lives. But we believe. Thank you, Keisha. Our response to Scripture will indicate a lot about our trust in a sovereign God who orders all things according to his will. So, if that doesn't make sense to you now, hopefully it will by the end of the time. Um, so... <laughs> a moment to collect my thoughts anyway. All right, um, look, the mention of slavery, which is, hey, <laughs> the mention of slavery, which is thankfully no longer an institution, will upset a lot of people. But look, you have to understand that we live in a different time than the great majority of the people who have ever lived in the history of the world lived. I was thinking as, uh, as Kenzie and Kerrigan were singing this morning so beautifully. What a beautiful song, beautifully sung. And, and for the entire worship team, thank you all so much. Everyone who sings specials always does a beautiful job because of the preparation and just the, the ways that, the God, that God has chosen to use them. But 
I was thinking as they were singing about something about you. We will be dressed in white. God, you will have your bride free from guilt. I thought about John Newton. You know who John Newton was, right? Wrote Amazing Grace. You know what he did before he wrote Amazing Grace? He was a slave trader. And God saved him and convicted him. And over time, he not only put an end to that, but was a very close associate of Wilbur Wilberforce in England who single-handedly almost brought about the end of slavery in England. If you've never seen the show Amazing Grace, the movie Amazing Grace, you should see it. It would be quite inspirational uh, to you. So, again, recognize that our culture today is different than it's um, been almost throughout all the history of the world. And slavery, as I'll mention again, is very much alive and operative in our world today. It's not legal anywhere, technically. But man, a lot of governments turn an eye, and we, even in our own country, there are a lot of sex slaves in our country that we don't even know about and care about, and we ought to passionately care about that. But just remember, when we read these words, these are written in a different context, and I'll explain all of that. In fact, just um, want to encourage you uh, um, to... to Hang on till the end of the message before you, you make judgments about what scripture is saying or what I'm saying. So Colossians 3, 18 through 4.1 is our text. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you would, please stand out of respect and honor for God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands. Actually, maybe I should just spend the whole time writing now. <laughs> I wish I hadn't by the time I get home. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants or slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. What a statement. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace even as has been prayed several times today by three different people. We need your mercy and your grace. We are a needy people. We are at our core uh, sinful. 
and, and given to sinful impulses, uh, even when we think not. So, Lord, I pray that you would just overflow our hearts with your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your justice. And that we would stand for what is right. And that we would love people purely and passionately. Instruct us this day and give us hearts to receive and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Misu. Well, I hope as we have worked our way through Colossians that you continually remember the theme of Colossians, which is the supremacy of Christ over all creation, over all philosophies and religions, and over our lives as believers. Look, Jesus has authority over all lives, whether they believe or not. We're, we're told and we believe that every day, every knee will bow, or one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord over all creation. But in Colossians, he specifically points to the need for believers to submit to his authority and his supreme role over our lives. Um, Colossians 3 uh, talks about our need to acknowledge his authority and, and the willful submission of believers to Jesus through putting off the old man with its sinful deeds of the flesh and putting on the new man and the Christ-like traits of compassion and humility, a forgiving spirit. And that's just really the short version. This morning, we're being called to submit to human authorities. And you may be thinking, look, I'm quite happy to submit to the Lord, but I ain't submitting to no man. I, I get it if you're, you're thinking that. Autonomy. We all want autonomy, right? In fact, we cannot submit to Jesus if we fail to submit to the people and the structures that God has established and regulated. If we say, I'm going to submit to the Lord, but uh-uh, I'm not submitting in that case. Then we fail to submit to the Lord, really. But look, before you get too upset, let me assure you that the Bible never affirms extreme versions of authority. In any way, that is not God's design. God's design is for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for that we pray, recognizing that it will not be fully established until Jesus reigns in the kingdom of God come to the earth. Having so acknowledged, we're going to consider how the Lord expects believers to conduct themselves in relationships that have an impact on society. Often on Sunday morning, what we do is work through the text and then draw some application, draw principles or truth from those uh, verses that we read and bring it into 2017. How does this impact us in 2017? This morning, though, we're going to work in the opposite direction. I want to give four <coughs> biblical principles for family and work relationships, and then we'll examine the text. And I want to ask you, please, again, let me just say this again. Please don't jump to any conclusions about what is being said, by the, again, by Scripture or by me until we get to the end of uh, the message. Um, 
and so at that point, you're free to ask, are you trying to tell me? But please don't do it before then, okay? To the principles. One, leadership and submission in relationships are matters of the heart. There are some authorities we are required to obey in government and work contexts that are not the same as family and or communal relationships, but God's instructions always involve the heart when it comes to leading and submitting. And look, some of you may be leaders in, a, in, in several contexts, in your family, in, in your place of work, in the church, um, but there is nobody who leads without some kind of accountability to someone else somewhere in the world. I mean, the people at the highest echelons of our government especially are accountable to, to we the people, which, by the way, we the people complicates the mess out of obeying the government because we have a say in how the government functions, and part of the way that it gets better ostensibly over time is that we have our voices heard. So it's complicated in submitting to the government. If you were in Eastern Europe 30 years ago, there would be no question. It'd just be, okay, I have to obey the government until I can't, and then I ha may have to suffer the consequences. We'll talk more about that in, in a bit. But, but every, everything that God calls us to do in the way of submission, especially, and in leading, it's a matter of the heart. You, you can find the types of lists that, uh, and, and instructions that we're going to read today in Greco-Roman culture. In fact, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are pure, just, godly, and all, uh, beautiful. All of these things in my mind, I could quote it at another time. Uh, but, but all of these things, think on these things. These were typical lists that you would find in in. Roman, Greco-Roman life in that day. Those who uh, were ethical would have these kinds of lists, but the biblical list always take this component to the, take it to the heart. It's not just a matter of this is how we are to live. This is who we are in our identity with Christ is the idea there. So we are called to lead and submit as a matter of the heart. Second, the biblical order of Christian relationships in this life puts more responsibility on the one who is called to submit in this life. Now, this is one of those moments where you're going to be like, what are you trying to say? Read it carefully. Read the point carefully in this life. Also, let me say up front, I am not saying that you should submit no matter what. I'm not saying you should stay in an abusive relationship. Look, Scripture, scripture makes allowances for all kinds of things. If, if you're in a relationship and your spouse commits adultery, then you are free, according to Jesus, to divorce and remarry. Now, I would agree with you if you would say, yes, but it's best for the couple to be reconciled. Always, that's best. But let's not be more spiritual than Jesus and say, if you walk away from this marriage, you're sin sinning. Jesus said you're free to go. I get it because of the nature of the, of, the, of the marriage relationship. You 
are free to go. Please work for reconciliation. But you're not required to. Um, furthermore, if you are in a home where a spouse is abusive, and usually that's most often the man is abusive, physically abusive, no question, get out. Emotionally abusive, that's a little di more difficult to define, but look, other people can help you define whether or not this is indeed emotional abuse. But if it's, if it's significant abuse, you need to get out. So that is not what is being saying here. What scripture is saying, though, is that in this life, if you are the one who is called to submit or obey, obey, when you are at an impasse with the established authority in your life, then you are called to yield. That settles a lot of arguments, doesn't it? It's what scripture says. Furthermore, you are called to yield with a proper heart attitude. That's tough. It's eased somewhat by the next point. The biblical principle for leadership is that leaders will be held to a far greater accountability when they stand before Jesus. They'll be held, held to a far greater accountability than those who were called to follow. James 3, 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a principle that's all over the New Testament. In Jesus' parables, managers were often called to account. All right, let's, let's hear how you've done managing. And those who mistreated servants were, were punished severely in Jesus' parables. Leaders are held to a high standard of accountability when they stand before Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that it may be difficult to submit from the heart and to lead with kindness and justice is that we think this life is all there is. And if in this life, if this life is all there is, then followers will tend to think, how is that fair? And leaders will tend to think, I don't care. I'm in a position of authority, so deal with it. The ways that we follow and lead tell a lot about what we truly believe concerning the next life. Is there one or not? And if so, does what we do in this life matter? Yes, it does, which is why everything that's going on is so important. Last, the fourth principle. There are times when we must obey God rather than men. But such times are the exception rather than the rule. It's just the way it is. Look. There are times we'll be called to disobey our authorities. There will be consequences, but if your boss tells you to cheat, cheat someone else. All right, lie about this number. What should you do? What you should do is say, I can't do that. Look, I realize it's not that clear cut often. And it's subtle. It's really difficult. Over time, you just... You discern whether someone is principled or not. But if your boss tells you to lie about things consistently, cheating, especially cheating other people, you've got to say, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do it. Even if you get fired. If your husband tells you to do something immoral, you should refuse. 
If the government tells you what you can and cannot say about Jesus, you are called to follow the Lord, understanding that you also will suffer consequences for your stand. But the times that you are required to do something against your Christian beliefs, at least at this point in time in our land, will be the exception rather than the rule, though that's the case. So don't waste time looking for exceptions. Look, people say, I can't give money to the government when they're going to use that money for abortions. Try to just do a little research and understand what Roman law was like when Jesus said, render what to God what is God's, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. When Paul said, obey the government, submit to the government, we don't know what a really horrifically immoral and evil government is. Paul said, submit. So, so quit looking for the exceptions. You'll see just how far we are called to go in obeying and submitting when we get to the text, which is happens to be right now. So let's look at Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Remember the context for this seemingly abrupt, abrupt beginning of a discussion about relationships. Go back to Colossians 3, 1. We are united with Christ. Therefore, put to death the sins of lust and, and, and anger and be humble and love one another. And in whatever you do, everything that you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, to God the Father through him. That's Colossians 3, 17. And now, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Do everything in the name of the, uh, of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That doesn't mean when it's fitting, but it, because it is fitting. It's not like when your husband is a certain way and it's fitting to uh, submit to him in the Lord, then I will do it, but it means because it is fitting in the Lord. Look, you'll notice that each of the three pairs of relationships mentioned here, husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave, the person called to submit is addressed first, and that is significant. It's significant in the Greek language. The person who is called to submit is addressed first. Again, back to in this life, the one who is called to submit has a greater responsibility, but... It is nothing compared to the responsibility the leader is going to face one day. Another point of interest here is that the submission of the wife is voluntary as opposed to the obedience of the child and the slave. Now, I've got to tell you, women didn't have a lot of rights. They had to be very careful in the first century or the husband could divorce them, put them away. And look, there were no safety nets to take care of people. In those days. So it was a pretty big thing when Paul was saying, I want you to voluntarily submit to the Lord or submit to your husband. Because probably one of the things that he was saying, and I'm just thinking out loud here. But one of the things he was likely saying was don't manipulate, don't play the games just to get your husband to do what you want to. Submit to him 
as is fitting in the Lord. In 1 Peter 3, uh, look, there are lots of times in the New Testament where wives are called to submit to their husbands. In, in 1 Peter 3, believing wives are called to submit to unbelieving husbands. And there was some thought that, Paul, that Peter was actually saying, look, if your unbelieving husband goes so far as to, as to require that you not attend church or deny you the privilege of going to church and meeting with your brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, obey your husband, submit to your husband with the goal of your respectful and pure conduct being an influence on his conversion. Look, I understand that husbands can be harsh and it gets tricky as to when too much is too much, but God has called for husbands to be the leader in the marriage relationship. And that is a hard word for wives, especially in in a culture in which women have understandably had it with men's abuse and they're standing up for their rights. But what does the Bible say about our rights or our autonomy? We are to give up our rights. But that's not just for the one submitting, that's for the one leading as well. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In other words, do not use your greater physical strength in most cases and your strong will to intimidate, dominate your wife. Do not be bitter with your wives, it says in some of your translations. Husbands, as leaders, have a great privilege in marriage as well as a great responsibility. Look, I'm going to make a, a, a general a, a statement that, that, that seems to me to be generally true. Um, and it just seems to be according to the creation order. If a husband, if a wife submits to her husband as unto the Lord... It's not always going to have the effect that he is going to begin to love her in the way that Christ loves the church. Men, being the creatures that we are, might say, oh, well, that's cool. Hey, that's like having your cake and eating it too, you know. I, I like this. On the other hand, women who were created to be more responsive, and I'll give another example here in just a moment, but created to be more responsive are much more interesting. I find it interesting if her husband loves her as Christ loves the church. Isn't it interesting? I find it interesting. And, and I see evidence of the need for this over and over and over. But one of the first things that God said to mankind is for this cause, a young man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. It's interesting that he doesn't say for a, a, a wife to leave her mother and father and cleave to her husband. It seems to be more natural. And as odd as it seems, men have the tendency to be mama's boys. We just do. And the Lord says, break that cycle and you be the leader in your home. Wives tend to respond to loving a husband who loves them as Christ loves the church. Again, not always. And look, it, it would be a shame if I got in trouble over that one. But, uh, you know, I very well may. Over yourself. Here's something for sure. 
Husbands, you're going to have to get over yourself if you're going to love your wife in the way that Jesus loves you. And that's what you're commanded to do. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul about the same time he wrote Ephesians and, and Philemon. I'll talk about Philemon in a, a few minutes. In, in, in uh, Ephesians 5, Paul's in prison when he was writing these, these letters. And, and in Ephesians 5, Paul utilizes far more space writing to husbands than he does to wives. Uh, and it's, here it's just a sort of a brief summary. But in Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Leading your wife is not about exerting your will. <clears throat> it's about dying to your own desires and caring tenderly for your wife in the most extraordinary ways. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we're told hus as husbands to live with our wives according to understanding so that our prayers will not be hindered. Over and over and over in Scripture, our relationships with others <coughs> are predicated on our relationship with God. We, we find... <coughs> In our relationship with the Lord, the way to live with other people. Did you notice how many times he said it's fitting in the Lord, as to the Lord, for the Lord? All these things that he says about our relationships with others. And that word in 1 Peter 3 is a reminder that we are being held accountable for the way that we lead. And as you can imagine, we could spend a long time in this text. But... It's while the children are here, it's just absolutely crucial that we get to verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. <clears throat> Once again, Ephesians 6, 1, I think it is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. People want to say, oh, in the Lord, when, when it's fitting with the Lord. Surely it means to do it in, 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 the, in all that the name of Jesus represents. But here in Colossians, it's pretty clear. Obey your parents in everything because that pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. How are you doing with this command? Every Person, sixth grade down, who obeyed your parents in everything this last week, raise your hand. Uh, yeah, 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 okay. Parents are like, yeah, you did. And I'm like, no, they didn't. You just don't know about something. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> look, children, your parents are bigger than you are, right? And they can punish you if you do wrong. They can withhold privileges from you. But that's not the reason you should obey them. God is speaking to you just like he's speaking to your parents in this message. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, especially fathers, do not provoke your children to anger with your own anger or with inconsistent living or inconsistent discipline. You have power over your children when they are young, but if you squander their pri your privilege in the early part of life, you may find that you have a very bitter teenager on Psalm 127.4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
get to shoot that arrow. You get to direct that arrow. You have the power to direct them for good, but if you are mean and harsh, well, you know. Look, do not think that I'm saying this, nor ever be guilty of looking at someone else's children and say, well, they must not have done a good job. Look, every single one of us has to answer for his or her own life. Every single one of us. This is just a reminder, parents, we have a great privilege as well as responsibility in raising our children. So it's a good reminder both to lead and submit with the Lord in mind. Nowhere is our responsibility seen more clearly than in these next few verses, which are quite awkward, especially in light of all that's going on this weekend. Bond servants, he's talking about slaves. Now, before I go any further, think about the number of times that Paul, how did Paul introduce himself? As a bond servant of the Lord. And we look at that and say, oh, that's really, that's great. No, that meant something in that day. Paul said, I am the Lord's slave. I don't do anything unless he directs me. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Look, if you have a if you're a slave and you have a master, you have good reason to be afraid of that master. And you have good reason when he's watching. Or when you know that he's going to be checking up on you to be doing your absolute best. Because there's a lot of power that he has in your life. Um, but Paul said, don't do it for that reason. Do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Paul was addressing Christian slaves just as he would address Christian slave owners in the following instructions. Does that mess with your mind? It does mind Christian slave owners. That's a problem. But there are a few things to say. First, slavery in the first century was far less brutal than the chattel slavery of early America. It was still slavery. It was still a serious business. But a lot of people sold themselves into slavery because they owed a debt or whatever reason they had. They needed security, and so they said, I will become your slave uh, if you will take me into your family. Furthermore, Paul was not commending the institution of slavery, but rather at the Lord's direction, he regulated life under slavery for believers because it was a part of the way people lived. As much as we recoil against the idea, there was no fault whatsoever in Paul's day of overturning the institution of slavery. So remember... When reading these commands, it was a far different day. Paul couldn't have gone to the Roman Senate and, and made his case. He, he could not have done in his day. It was impossible for him, under God's sovereign plan, it was impossible for him to do in his day what Wilber, Wilberforce did in England in his day. Look, our own shameful past with slavery is far more recent than any of us 
would like to think that it is. Look, yesterday's activities in Charlottesville, Virginia, show us just how very far we have as a nation to go. The notion that my race is better than your race is despicable, and it's a sin that needs to be repented of and forgiven. And don't forget what Paul said in Colossians 3.11, just right in connection with all of this. There is no longer Jew or Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian. Christ is all, and in other places he says male, female. Christ is all and in all. Our identity is in Christ, not in our heritage as Americans or any other nation. The idea that my race is better than your race is despicable, despicable in a sin that needs to be repented of and forgiven. And by the way, it's another difference in our slavery and the slavery of the first century. It wasn't racial. I mean, nobody really thought in terms of, oh, well, you're black or you're, you're a darker-skinned person or you're a light-skinned person, so we're going to pull you in as a slave. It was economic and and, and it was just the structure of the society of that day. It's a, it's a lot different in our day. Although the sex slave trade is, um, <laughs> is not concerned about race. I haven't thus far stated the close relationship between the New Testament letters of Colossians and Philemon. Most likely the Colossian church met in Philemon's house. And so when Colossians was read, he would have been in attendance as was Onesimus. Now, here's the story with Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus had been Philemon's slave. And he left, he ran away, and probably uh, relieved Philemon of some of his money. He probably stole some money, went to Rome, and miraculously in Rome he was converted. Under Paul's ministry, he served Paul, but Paul said, look, you can't, you've got to go back and reconcile with your master. And so Paul sent him back with the letter of Colossians, along with a couple of others. And, and so Paul is saying to Philemon, in the book of Philemon, you need to forgive Onesimus. I know he was useless in the past, but now he's very useful to me. But I thought it was right to send him back to you. But treat him no longer as a slave, but treat him as a brother. Now, Paul wasn't encouraging Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom. But he was saying that relationship is entirely different. I've often wondered if slaves sometimes were elders and they were had spiritual authority over their masters who had social and legal authority over them as human beings. I doubt it. It would have just been really awkward socially, but Paul was just obliterating the, the social norms of the day about relationships between people who were wealthy and those who were slaved. So now when Paul calls for Philemon to, to forgive Onesimus, it, it's amazing. And by law, look, by law, Philemon could have, even though it was a different sort of slavery, he could have had Onesimus put to death. 
And Paul is saying, treat him like a brother. Exercise compassion and forgiveness. Remember, when Paul's letter to the Colossians was being read, they were both present. Even though we thankfully do not apply these words today to slaves and owners, just how horrible even the thought. We certainly find ready application of these words in employer and employee relationships. So let's read the verses and allow the text to speak for itself. When we finish, I'll give one last word for all of us from these verses. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, knowing that the Lord is always watching us, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men at your place of work. Work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. So once again, knowing that there was no hope in the first century that slavery would be overturned or abandoned as an institution, can you imagine how grateful slaves were to hear that slave owners would be held accountable for the way that they treated their slaves, accountable to God? Not only was this a, 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 there a promise of justice in Paul's but, but there was also a prospect that slaves would be treated better because of such a reminder. To slaves, Paul said, to work heartily as to the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. An inheritance. Just imagine what that meant to slaves. Not many slaves were granted an inheritance in the will of, of, of the one who had legal rights over him or her. The inheritance of eternal life is the promise for all believers. And it's the motivation. Our inheritance from the Lord is the motivation to be a submissive wife, a loving husband, an obedient child, to be patient and godly parents, to be an honest and diligent employee and a kind and caring if we trust that the Lord's ways are best and that his design is perfect despite imperfect people who lead and who follow, then our reward will be great in heaven. I'm convinced that more than anything else, God wants us to trust him in all things. What is God trying to teach me in this trial? Maybe he's just trying to teach you to trust him. Just to believe that he's God, he's in control, and he's good and loving and what he does is always good, regardless of how difficult it makes our lives. He wants us even to trust him enough to follow his design for relationships with our whole heart. When we do, others might be confused initially. They're like, how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you put up with a boss like that? Really? You're going to be submissive to him? You gotta be kidding me. I thought it was hard for me, but for you it's ridiculous. 
What we do may confuse others initially. But in the end, there's a decent possibility that they will acknowledge that Christ is first place in our lives. And hopefully, many, some at least, will be drawn to make Jesus first in their own lives. So, much for us to contemplate from the word in light of culture. Please understand, please understand the importance. Let the word inform your thoughts more than the culture. We live in this culture, and so we have to be sensitive to it. And we recognize on a weekend like this that we, while we have come a long way, we have a long way to go. But remember what we have learned over and over and over. There are two families. There are two kingdoms. There are two paths. And as believers, it is incumbent upon us to live according to Scripture. And when we have opportunities to make a difference, we ought to make a difference. But don't do so with condemnation. Don't condemn those who are condemning others. You may feel that your position is right and just, and it is. I would agree with you that it is. But we all answer to the perfect judge, the perfect one who will sort all of this out. And it's not going to be sorted out here. Golden ages are just ages in which people don't speak up too much. There's always something simmering. Trust God to be God. Live in the kingdom. The kingdom is already not yet. Live in such a way that when you get to heaven and you stand before Jesus Christ, you won't be saying, oh no. Because you'll know even as you're known. You will give an account for everything. Everything we say and do. We'll give an account. Thankfully, Jesus has taken the punishment that we deserve. Well, again, going to be, there's a lot for us to think about, a lot for us to talk about. Um, I'm going to pull one that may upset the worship team. It's, look, it's late. I just kept adding the things that I had planned to say. And obviously, yesterday, um, we, uh, that impacted the things that I was going to say today in, in an understandable way. So we'll not do our final song this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, have the benediction and be dismissed. <laughs> Our Father, um, we are a blessed people and a sinful people all at the same time. <laughs> um, a lot of times when we think about being a sinful people, we don't even 
consider being blessed, but we are blessed. We are saved in spite of who we are at our core. And Lord, while um, we are grateful that we have the privilege to live intentionally and to live purposefully, especially as believers, we do that. Uh, we also recognize um, that our desire for autonomy needs to be swallowed up in our identity with Christ. And may your will be done in our lives on earth as your will for us is in heaven. Lord, we are grateful that our salvation is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In spite of who we are, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Father, for leading us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for never leaving us. Always guiding and, un and, and causing your word to be understood. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.